0: No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist.
1: Hello, and welcome to Mueller, She Wrote. I'm your host, A.G., Allison Gill. And today we have an interview with Pete Struck about the extradition of 2016 Russian hacker Klyushin. Stick around after that for the Fantasy Indictment League picks. Hope you enjoy it. Ladies and
0: I'm Greg Oliar, and this is Prevail.
1: There's a goal here, which is to make sure that
0: Vladimir Putin not only stays in power, but that they're allowed to continue stealing.
1: When you look at Brexit and you say, what might have also happened when Leah was being interrogated? Sort of like Brexit. A bunch of confused people following orders, really having no idea what they were doing. Tax
0: avoidance on that level is only serving the interests, frankly, of a lot of mobsters and corrupt governments.
1: The inherent question is, is Maria Butina a spy? And Maria Butina was a charge of espionage. So that's a difficult place to start to begin with. Those
0: intangibles that those people want to have, we can't take advantage of that in dealing with Russia and China and Iran. If we can't do that, then you know what? Maybe we don't deserve to continue. Prevail with Greg Oliar every Friday.
1: Everybody, welcome back. Happy to be joined today by the author of Compromised, Pete Struck. Pete, how are you? I'm good, Allison. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year to you. This is turning into the Pete and Allison show. I feel like I should be paying you uh, for all these appearances. I appreciate your time on this, but uh, these things keep dropping, and now we're learning. Uh, well, I mean, we had learned last week about the extradition of a man named Clusion, uh, <laughs> but uh, there's a little bit more. Uh, going on uh, with this and what he might be able to reveal to American prosecutors about what happened with the hack in 2016, the Russian hack in 2016. Can you talk a little bit about what this could mean for for prosecutors?
0: It it potentially could mean a lot. And I, I would say not just for prosecutors, but for the U.S. government and intelligence community in particular. I think there's some things like people over index. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, in a tiny way to blame because of the character limit on um, Twitter about pointing out, well, we'll know what happened with regard to the campaign polling data that Manafort provided uh, to Kalemnik or possibly potentially could. But I think there's people, folks need to remember, you know, it's pretty clearly established, certainly publicly and, and much more within the US government intelligence community that the Russians were behind the hacks of the DNC, were behind the hacks of the DCCC, were behind uh, release of information via intermediaries, primarily WikiLeaks and Julian Assange to get that data out. So that we, we don't need somebody to come in and say, oh, you know, I've got information about this. Now, it could be helpful to analysts within the community. If he comes in, he says, oh, you know, these people in St. Petersburg, they were using Dell laptops and not Lenovo laptops. And, you know, there there may be grace notes around the outside that that are very valuable from an intelligence perspective. But I think the much bigger potential areas of interest that he has are information surrounding what was going on on the Russian side of things with all the interaction between these various elements of the Trump campaign and Russia. And a couple of things really stand out potentially that he might have information about. The first is, you know, to the extent that the polling information that was released by Manafort via Rick Gates to as most of your listeners hopefully know, Konstantin Klemnik what he did, who he was working for, where that information went, how, and if the Russian government used that, um, that would be very interesting because a lot of what we know, and we as big U.S. government, we know what happened with the information activities up until the time it leaves the possession of these various individuals who are in and around the Trump campaign and administration. We don't know what happens on the other side. Um, so he could provide information about that. He certainly... I think one of the most likely places he might provide information is specifically about Constantin Kalemnik. Um, DOJ, I think it was about a year ago, they sort of put out or, or, or pushed up the, the public visibility of the, the fact that he was wanted, published or republished a, a wanted poster and a reward for information leading to his arrest. I think it is a, a reasonable possibility that there's a sealed indictment for Kalemnik. I think that to the extent that people can talk about what he did... Uh, And who he is, um, there may be information there. And then certainly, you know, stepping outside of just the straight Russian interference in 2016, there's some indication he might have information about what the GRU was doing in Western Europe. I mean, they were engaged in lethal activities, I think there's been a lot of public reporting through Bellingcat and, and others about the activities in Switzerland, their activities in Germany. Certainly, you know, there's public information about the, you know, the attempted uh, assassinations in the UK. So to the extent that he's got some visibility into broader GRU activities beyond just hacking, that might be interesting. I don't know whether that's an accurate assumption that some people are making, but it's a, uh, there isn't for, you know, things there. And outside of that, just the whole Criminal scheme is, is really fascinating the way they went about sort of targeting the weak underbelly of the U.S. financial system and took advantage of that in a way that um, is is both clever and concerning. And so I'm glad that uh, and a little bit curious. And we can talk about like how it was that he managed to get find himself extradited. But um, there's I think a lot potentially to come.
1: Now with. The potential pressure that we could put on him to get information. Uh, would would that be for law enforcement purposes or more about just getting to the bottom of things to prevent it from happening again uh, because of the statute of limitations? Or can you, like you said, place a, a, an indictment under seal, like for Manafort, for example, with the Kalimnik stuff, before you get the final pieces of the puzzle just to stop that statute of limitations clock? Or is is there some sort of A policy that says you know you can't just file an indictment under seal to stop a statute of limitations clock you got to have the evidence to file the indictment
0: well no you need evidence before you're going to file a charge so like anytime you're going to have a sealed indictment um or or a complaint you've got to have the evidence in hand to do it you're not going to ever get a charging document with stuff evidence you think prospectively you're going to be able to get you don't bring those charges unless you have the evidence in hand that you need so i don't think that there is anything that this is going to firm up you know a place where the government went out on a limb to charge somebody that doesn't happen. So if there are charges that exist out there, they exist because the government is ready to to charge it now what will happen is the government will increase charges and a great example of that is Julian Assange. The initial charges for Assange were comparatively limited and as the government did investigation, as they obtained additional information, that's where we saw a much more robust set of charges that were brought in against Assange in the form of superseding indictments that really dive into sort of the nasty you know, non-journalistic behavior that he was engaged in, in terms of allegedly encouraging hacking, in terms of allegedly assisting Ed Snowden getting out of of the US, you know, via assistance from WikiLeaks. So it I, it is certainly possible that, well, there may not be existing charges. If there are, you know, a certain set of charges, information he may have or be able to point the government to may allow a much more robust set of criminal charges. And that's just criminal cooperation, right? I mean, that is something where I'm certain that folks within the Department of Justice, folks within the Securities and Exchange Commission are going to be looking to say, okay, what was your scheme? Who else was involved? Um, not only, you know, what can we do to build charges or shore up bar charges, what can we do to protect ourselves here? But there's going to also be, I mean, cooperation doesn't just have to be from a criminal perspective. You can get per cooperation from providing intelligence information. So there will be, you know, I, I think a, when he gets here and if, and when he, you know, and he does have an incentive to cooperate because the charges are, are significant. And I don't think, you know, if he can work down a potential jail sentence, um, it's in his interest to do so. So. I would, I would think there will be a, you know, a very interesting set of discussions within the U.S. government if it, he comes to the table with a proffer. You're not just going to have the criminal authorities and civil authorities wanting to talk to him. You're going to have elements of the U.S. intelligence community wanting to talk to him as well.
1: And and what about some kind of protection? I mean, if if he does obviously assist the United States, he's going to. If he hadn't already fallen out of favor with Putin, he definitely will by then, and will probably become a very wanted and marked person.
0: Yeah, and that's a really, that that certainly is possible. And that gets into a very complex um, environment very, very quickly, because we've seen people like that, you know, what he has, and there's some, I've seen some speculation online, that talks about the way and the manner that in particular, the the DOJ um, charging document was worded that it almost seems to be in some places, an attempt to show how he was scamming not only people within, you know, taking advantage of the U.S. filing system, you know, the Edgar filing system of the SEC, but also how he might have been scamming his own clients in Russia more than they knew. And so to create almost a little bit of tension or a little bit of friction between him and his notional, you know, not co-conspirators, but protectors or people who would ordinarily be interested in, um taking care of him in russia and that that might explain kind of this half-assed job by his attorney kind of you know in, in lodging the appeal in europe or fighting one of the appeals fighting his extradition apparently he sent it in by mail so it arrived late and there's some question okay that whether or not that was malpractice if he had really wanted to stay and fight it he could have did this provide him a fig leaf to say oh i tried i tried to prevent extradition but you know, I sort of did it in a half-hearted way so that I was able to get extradited. And I don't know, because there are people, you know, when you look at um, folks in Russia, even people who anger those in power, what was, I forget her name. Her her first name was like Nastya. She was somebody I want to uh, say. Nastya who was, Rybka. Right. And she got like wrapped up and she had all kinds of enemies and she was threatening to dish and she did dish a little bit. And then they get the grabs on her and they bring her back to Moscow and you expect, oh God, she's going to be dead in the ditch. But she's not. So the question is like, you know, you can have the totality information that you have can be so large that even if you dish and cooperate in a limited respect, there's still enough you have got tucked away and placed somewhere for safekeeping that you can go back and say, hey, look, it was bad. But if you really want to like, you know, if I show up dead in the ditch, this is automatically going to get released and it's 100 times worse. So understanding how to navigate within Russia, the environment of, you know, whether or not you're a snitch and what that really looks like and what that means is a really, really complex environment. And I would hesitate to have any absolute statement about, oh, if he comes here and he cooperates, he's a dead man if he ever leaves the United States. I, I, I don't know that that's necessarily true.
1: Yeah, well, I appreciate that insight. I would definitely take your expertise. So You, knew,
0: you knew Ripka like that, that's
1: impressive. <laughs> <laughs> that was the sex coach, you know, right. she was in the... Th- right, running I... running courses in Thailand, yeah. was it? Yeah, yeah, you got it. <laughs> we, we remember things like sex and coach. The, right yeah,
0: well, sure. And the yacht, was it Deripaska's yacht? Was he the...
1: It was. It was Deripaska's yeah. boat. And uh, she was out there filming that, That apparently the handoff of Kalimnik's stuff that he got from Manafort uh, following flight paths. And then Navalny got a hold of the tape, and we know where he is now. Uh, And I'm not saying just because of that, but, you know, Um, we follow we followed that a little close. Yeah. Um, Well, I appreciate all your insight on that. We're going to keep following this story. I think it's interesting that his name sounds like collusion. (laughs) 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 Um, Something a word that uh, we uh, we had many, many discussions about during uh, during the Mueller investigation. Uh, I wanted to move on before I let you go, though. We just finished watching. Um, To shift gears, we just finished watching some remarks given to Department of Justice employees by Attorney General Merrick Garland uh, about, well, you know, I was looking, I was listening to it for his update on the January 6th insurrection investigation, but he he tied it in with quite a few different things, uh, including the big lie, violent extremism, uh, now that uh, voting rights are under attack now because of the big lie. I mean, he tied it all together very well. I was wondering what your initial thoughts were. I was very impressed by the remarks. Uh, I think he covered what we need to cover. But you and I had had a discussion before that he should be talking about the resources that he's putting on this. Uh, and that seemed to be missing. Uh, he, he addressed everything else I wanted him to address. And he talked about the size and scope, 15 terabytes, you know, 22,000 hours of video, uh, et cetera. He talked about the size and scope, but didn't really say what he was throwing at it
0: yeah i agree i mean my my initial thought is it's exactly what i expected um it is what you want you know and again this was a speech to the department of justice and the fbi although he obviously understood full well that it was being carried live to the american people so i think his message was given in the context of his audience and was given in the context of what you know he thinks an attorney general should be saying and kind of laying out to reinforce to both the department as well as to the American public. This is what we do, this is how we do it, and this is what you can expect from us. So uh, it it was measured. It was what I would expect a former distinguished judge, now attorney general to say, I, and I'm glad he did it. And I hope he continues to do it. There's clearly a lot of uh, clamoring for some sort of statement out of the department. I think this is appropriate. I don't know that he needs to be out there every month talking about it, but I hope this isn't the last. Um, I, I share your concern that I, I am And and we've talked about this before on your podcast, you know, I have no doubt that the people at the ground level, the investigators, agents, analysts, prosecutors are working their tails off. I have some concern about whether or not that is when you step up to a higher level, you know, the questions, if I were a senator or somebody asking that of him, you know, did you go out? Have you asked your investigators and prosecutors, is there any more work you could be doing right now if you had more attorneys, more agents, more analysts? Have you gone to Congress and asked for additional resources? Have you gone to the judiciary and said, We are facing another wave of COVID? We need extraordinary measures to stand up temporary, you know, additional courthouses and bring in judges because, you know, we all understand there is a flow, an ebb and flow to the course of a criminal case that can't be accelerated. However, if we're faced with potentially having to shut things down due to COVID, are there things we can do to maintain the pace? And again, that sense of, you know, we're all busy you know he said this is one of the busiest or one of the most you know largest cases in the, in the history well no it's the largest let's let's call it <laughs> i mean there there is nothing close in american history to an investigation of this size period full stop you know i am concerned he you know i was looking at some of the numbers i think he threw out you know they've done five thousand subpoenas so far and you know numbers lie so i hesitate to do this but you compare and contrast that to Mueller, who i think did 2,800 subpoenas. Now, Mueller, that was 675 days, so not quite two years. So if you've got Mueller, who's got a team by the number of attorneys that Garland talked about that was anywhere a sixth, a seventh, and eighth of the size of what DOJ is doing right now, that number of subpoenas actually strikes me for the January 6th is very, very small. And so the question is, okay, so you know that's a data point and it's dangerous to do any sort of extrapolation, but what it doesn't it, it doesn't comfort me that that small number has a possibility of playing into the sense that the investigative teams are overwhelmed by the volume of information and investigative stuff they have to do. And if you are facing all these terabytes and terabytes of video coverage and tips coming in, if you are so overwhelmed that you're barely keeping your head above water or not keeping your head above water in terms of analyzing and going through what you've got, your appetite to go out and say more. I mean it's one thing if I'm saying, okay, I know you're in there, so let's great. Let's just get your geolocation fencing data from your Google account and, and you stop there. But if I had more resources, I might say, well let's Allison let's get her geolocation data, but let's also get, you know, her financial data and let's get her credit card statements and let's see where you moved. And if you have more people, you can get a more robust picture. Now, you know, the danger is if you're just some mope who found yourself on the floor you know, in the rotunda somewhere, maybe we don't need it. But I do worry, I, I continue to be worried that the, the the approach and the view of this isn't necessarily carrying the same sense of urgency that I might hope. And so that, you know, his description started on January 6th. These people advanced and they did this and they did this. Now, he got to the point where we're saying we're going to hold people accountable whether or not they were there on the 6th. But what he didn't do is he didn't say, well, there was planning for this that started in December. There were communications and advocating for people to come to the nation's capital that occurred, you know, it, 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 in other words, the narrative starts January 6th. Well, the fact of the matter is, when you look at the broad theory of the case, this was an attempted, an attempt to maintain power illegally by disrupting the certification of the vote that began well in advance of January 6th. So, yeah. I mean, he, he points to that, or he pointed to that in his comments, but I would have liked to have seen even a little bit more of an emphasis of saying like, look, this isn't, you know, people did bad things on the 6th. This is a broad conspiracy that we're going to get to that led up to January 6th, exploded on January 6th. And, you know, we're trying to figure out what happened. So again, it's what I expected. I'm glad he did it. I hope he continues to speak, but, um, Things, things I, I would like to hear that didn't, and I continue to be concerned about the the kind of overall, very high level sense of urgency about how we're approaching this.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you have to go through twenty two thousand hours of video, for example, uh, just another single number that he had mentioned, which he did, um, tell like tell me. Who's doing that? And is it taking away from the fact that, is that why you only have 5,000 subpoenas and you're expecting more? I mean, he did say we're going as fast as we can, but like, uh, yeah, it's a little more information I think would have gone a long way.
0: Yep, agreed. And I, you know, as fast as we can, that that is one of those things that's so hard as a leader to get a sense of when you walk into a, a team or when you're leading a team and they're saying we're going as fast as we can, that's the natural response. And so the question is, are they like Scotty in the engine room of the Star Trek where it's, we're going as fast as we can and like bullshit, you got another 20%. So go faster. Or is it truly, we're going as fast as we can. And if you double the number of people we have, we, we still couldn't go any faster. And that's mm-hmm. the, that is the question that worries me the most because I, you know, unless you're in there, Asking those questions, you know I, I get you know you have to produce discovery. You have to give people the time to do it. The court will only you know schedule various hearings and milestones based on the pace that we have to do and you have to solve these cases before you move up to the next level. You're not going to accelerate that pace, but there are all these other things on the investigative side that you can scope up potentially. now maybe maybe that's been done, but I, I still have a after the speech
1: i still have an Let uncomfortable if it's been done you know yeah and and by the time this show airs and this interview airs uh we will have also heard biden's remarks which happen tomorrow on the actual anniversary of one six he's going to be addressing the urgency of of the one six investigation Maybe, perhaps he will discuss resources Uh, as he may be the one to allocate those. uh, And I I know that Merrick Garland mentioned Congress, like, hey, get off your ass and give us the voting rights stuff that we need. But he didn't say, give us get off your ass and give us the money we need to get the investigation done. So we'll we'll see. Maybe there'll be more remarks to come. And I I also am hoping and encouraging and writing and tweeting and sending letters to the, the U.S. attorney's office in D.C. saying, hey, Maybe you can keep us updated via press conference on what's going on with the 1-6 investigation, at least just what, what's what been done, not necessarily what you're going to do, because obviously, and Merrick Garland explained today, we can't do that. It can, it can jeopardize future investigations, and it, it can also shit on people's civil rights, uh, and so we have to be very careful about that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, that Biden needs to be careful. I hope he is careful. What we don't want is, you know, a president out there saying, I'm demanding DOJ go, you know, I I don't want any president talking about what he does or doesn't want DOJ to do. So, um, and hopefully, you know, and then, you know, the one, a couple of times, Biden sort of weighed in a little bit, he quickly backtracked. And, you know, again, I think understanding that trying to return the, the sense of normalcy of the independence of DOJ from the shit show that was the Trump administration in that regard, I think is a is a positive thing. So I, I hope and I expect Biden will talk about the severity of January sixth and the stress it's placed on our society and continues to place and that the threat hasn't gone away and that, you know, we need to try and cool things down. Um, but yeah, I'm curious. And is Trump is Trump still speaking?
1: No, he cancelled his event. He is doing a rally in Arizona ah. though on, on the sixth. So uh, and then he put out a statement about why he canceled or why he didn't cancel the event. He said it had nothing to do with everybody finding out about Sean Hannity's texts. So I just and then he just didn't really say much with a bunch of words as he usually does, yeah,
0: yeah, exactly well he'll he'll he won't avoid the crowd and the the adoring um cheers. so we'll see what happens. I have no expectation that he's going to stay within any sort of scripted comments. so that'll be interesting as well to uh, find out. you think Hannity's going to take the January 6th committee up on their offer to uh, come in and talk?
1: I don't know. I don't, I, I'm mm, probably not. Uh, I think he's going to wave his First Amendment rights around, even though they don't really have anything to do with it. I mean, he's he's I said earlier, he's as much of a journalist as Julian Assange is. But um, but, you know, hey, there are First Amendment uh, concerns, which is why the committee said we don't want any of your quote unquote news gathering uh, information. We We want to talk to you as a actual political advisor to the white house which is what you were that day and, right. so- and not
0: not a, a proper media propaganda arm of you know state state media that was the fact uh, back then but no that's i'm curious i don't know that he will but you know it also could be a initial first stage of saying look we offered we tried in good faith to talk to you and you said no." so if only papering the record maybe that's what they're doing i don't know
1: yeah, they, that, that's usually what my feeling is, is that they, hey, so if they go to court and uh, get a conviction, there's no, hey, they didn't try to come at me. they, There was no due process. They just subpoenaed me immediately and, uh, you know, that whole thing. When you, I, I I remember we sat through so many of these within the Mueller investigation of people trying to just serve people, subpoenas and summons, and they had to f- find them. If they couldn't find them, they had to try a hundred times, and then they could ask the judge if they could do it by email, and then, hey, can we maybe call them? And they're like, no, you got to find them. And it was, that was all to to establish the paper, you know.
0: Right, right. And I think that may be what they're doing here. So we shall see.
1: Yeah, we'll see. Well, I appreciate your time today. It's always great to talk to you. Yep, you too. And uh, as soon as I get my Soros money, I'll send you some of it and, uh, for, for continuing to be on my show. I appreciate that. Uh, we'll have our deep state meeting next Tuesday. And uh, <laughs> yeah, nice. everybody seriously needs to get the book Compromised. It's really, a really incredible book. I'm so glad you wrote it. And I appreciate your time today. Thanks. Great. Thank you. All right, everybody. It's time for the Fantasy Indictment League. I'm going to be indicted. No, it is going to be a... Indicted. Honey, dick. Indicted. I'm, I'm going to be indicted. That they can't, it's going to be okay. Just calm down. I can't calm down. I'm going to be And my first pick this week is superseding indictments for the Trump Organization for OCA, or Little Rico, from the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. Next up, I think we might hear about Rudy, Tonzing, along with Derek Harvey and DeGeneva from that entire investigation in the Southern District of New York. Then down to the Middle District of Florida, where we have Gates, L.A. Key, and Engels. And then I think we might hear something about Eric Prince. I don't really want to give too much away. And then finally, Tom Barrick, either superseding uh, or maybe a plea agreement in the Eastern District of New York. Where's Weissman, I wonder? All right. Thank you so much for listening today. I appreciate you. If you want to become a patron of this show, the MSW Book Club, which we're beginning the book Corruptible by Brian Kloss this week, and also the Daily Beans, you can get all the premium ad-free feeds for one low monthly payment of just three bucks. Uh, 36 bucks a year. And uh, that money really keeps us afloat, helps us pay our people awesome wages, gives them health care, all that good stuff. So you can do that by going to patreon.com Muller, she wrote. And uh, everybody will be back tomorrow with the Daily Beans and uh, Dana. And, you know, uh, we'll have an interview with Hugo Lowell about his scoop in The Guardian regarding the 1 6 Committee. So until then, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been A.G., and this is Muller She Wrote. S. Okay. W. Media.